what's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. A Mar-a-Lago employee makes his first court appearance in Miami. He's charged with helping former President Trump in the classified documents case. We have more details of the hearing. Republican House lawmakers are urged to return to Washington after Hunter Biden's business associate is summoned by the Justice Department. An activist opens up about California's child trafficking bill. He says a state assembly committee killed the bill because they were too focused on playing politics instead of focusing on the facts. The new director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says the agency plans to soon recommend yearly COVID shots. And Senator Rand Paul says he issued a criminal referral to the Justice Department for Dr. Anthony Fauci. He says Fauci lied about the lab in Wuhan, China. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, Trump aide Carlos de Oliveira made his first appearance in a Miami court. He did not enter a plea for lack of local counsel and was released on a $100,000 bond pending trial. The Mar-a-Lago property manager will be arraigned on August 10th in Florida. Prosecutors say Trump asked de Oliveira to delete security camera footage at his Florida estate. De Oliveira was named as a third defendant in the classified documents case and is charged with four counts, including obstruction of justice. That follows charges against Trump and another aide, Walt Nauta. The former president was accused of storing hundreds of classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago estate and having staffers hide them from investigators. Trump said on Truth Social that the Mar-a-Lago security tapes weren't deleted. He added that what the DOJ did amounts to meddling in the 2024 election. Tables are turning in election focal point Iowa. Republican presidential candidate Tim Scott is close to second place holder Ron DeSantis. That's according to polls by Fox Business and the Trump campaign. We spoke with Epoch Times reporter Jeff Lauterbach about the change of fortunes. Jeff Lauterbach, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me again. Jeff, it looks like Republican presidential candidate Tim Scott is doing well in Iowa. Tell us about that. Well, over the weekend, there was the Iowa Lincoln dinner and all, I think it was 13 or 14 GOP candidates spoke and Tim Scott among them. He's been polling nationally very low uh, in the single digits, but He's put a lot of attention in Iowa over the last week. And according to two recent polls, he's at 10 and 11 percent. And that puts him right behind, uh, well, significantly behind President Trump, but also behind uh, Ron DeSantis. But he's inching closer to DeSantis, who is at 16 percent in both polls. And what message is Tim Scott campaigning on? Well, he, he's always campaigned on the same message as he did when he ran for senator about how, you know, the, the narrative that uh, minorities can't succeed in the United States in today's world is inaccurate. And he's living proof of that. He's very outspoken about how he grew up uh, in South Carolina and the influence that his grandfather had. I think uh, he had a great quote from the speech on Saturday. He said his grandfather after his parents got divorced and he moved into his grandfather's house. I think he was seven or eight years old. And his grandfather said, 
you can be bitter or you can be better. That is a microcosm of what Tim Scott is running his campaign on as far as the positive message. And it sounds like that message is resonating in Iowa. So what's the significance of the Iowa caucus for the Scott campaign? Well, that's interesting. And I know you know this about uh, how back, uh, I think it was January, the Democratic National Committee voted to remove Iowa and New Hampshire as first in the nation status. But Iowa and New Hampshire refused because it's the state laws that determine that as far as when the primaries are held. Iowa, the caucus, and New Hampshire, the primary. So that, I mean, Iowa is still important. And you can see that all 13, uh, I can't remember whether it was 13 or 14 candidates were there on uh, Saturday. And they, and Tim Scott, uh, his PAC is putting a lot of money into promoting him in Iowa. And Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis is facing pushback for his state's social studies curriculum on slavery. Tell us about that and Tim Scott's response. Well, that's been in the news lately about uh, the uh, social studies curriculum, and there's a lot of debate on what that means. Uh, Democrats have said that it is speaks uh, volumes about uh, neg negative comments about uh, that slavery shouldn't be taught. Uh, Ron DeSantis has a different view of that. And uh, Tim Scott over the weekend said that there's no silver lining in slavery. So he uh, that he's spoken out about a few things related to Ron DeSantis, and that's interesting because he's inching closer to him in the polls in Iowa. Epoch Times reporter Jeff Lauterbach, thank you. Thank you. Despite his legal troubles, former President Donald Trump is leading his rivals for the Republican presidential nomination. That's according to the first New York Times-Siena College poll of the 2024 campaign. The poll found Trump leading his nearest challenger, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, by a whopping 37 percentage points. The survey shows Trump is dominating across almost every demographic group and region and in every ideological wing of the party. Other challengers, like former Vice President Mike Pence, former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley and Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, each scored 3% support, while the other remaining candidates scored just 2% of those polled. The survey comes less than six months before the first 2024 primary contest and before a single debate. House Republicans urge colleagues to return early from their break after the Justice Department requests Hunter Biden's business partner to surrender to authorities for jail sentencing. Biden's business associate Devin Archer was preparing to testify before Congress. The lawmakers now want to discuss if the Justice Department is interfering in their investigation into the Biden family. Archer was summoned to be sentenced by the Justice Department on a different charge, but lawmakers think the timing is strange. Archer was issued the notice of surrender over the weekend when he was already scheduled to testify on Monday. His testimony is about the Biden family, Hunter Biden's business dealings, and the alleged role of President Biden in his son's business affairs. Congressman Matt Gates said if Archer is not in the witness chair on Monday, he'll put the U.S. Attorney General in that chair. The U.S. Attorney's Office said in a, in a letter that Archer is not expected to surrender before his congressional testimony, Archer's lawyer also said he did not think the Justice Department was attempting to intimidate his client and that Archer plans to give his testimony as scheduled.
The Sound of Freedom movie continues its run at the box office. The anti-child trafficking movie is getting more theater screenings and beating several big-budget summer blockbusters. The latest numbers say the movie has grown to playing on over 4,000 screens and that earnings surpassed $140 million. That's since the movie's release over Fourth of July weekend. It's based on the true story of a former government agent and focuses on the exploitation of children by sex traffickers. With a budget of $14.6 million, Sound of Freedom has become a massively profitable movie for Angel Studios. It will start international screenings in August. Viewers have found the film's depiction of child trafficking eye-opening. Former President Donald Trump gave his support to Sound of Freedom in a campaign video. He promised to subject human traffickers to the death penalty if he's re-elected in 2024. A new interview on California child trafficking bill. An activist explains why he thinks the state assembly committee killed the bill. It was designed to strengthen penalties for child sex traffickers. And this bill is about protecting children. That's all this bill was about. And some people made it about political arguments and culture wars. Shane Harris is a child safety advocate and the founder of San Diego-based People's Association of Justice. He recently sat down with the Epic Times for an episode of California Insider. They discussed California Senate Bill 14, which was introduced by Republican State Senator Shannon Grove. The bill was designed to strengthen penalties for repeat offenders related to child sex trafficking. The bill easily passed in the state Senate, but was later killed by the Assembly's Public Safety Committee in July. I've been a Democrat since I was 18, but I said, look, this is shameful. My party should be standing with the kids. My party should be standing with the majority of people who believe that this is a serious felony. Harris said the unintended consequences of partisan politics are to blame that the bill failed to pass the committee. Their intention was to try to curb Shannon Grove's bill because she's a Republican. And the unintended consequences from that is that you is end this up protecting getting... this guy who is the criminal who is hurting more children because you're playing partisanship on an issue that is not partisan and not political. After the assembly killed the bill, constituents expressed outrage and disbelief. Many voiced their displeasure on social media and with messages and phone calls to their representatives. On July 12th, Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom weighed in on the matter, publicly calling for the bill to be revived. At a second hearing that later followed, almost all Democratic members switched their vote to aye. This allowed the bill to pass onto the Assembly's Appropriations Committee for review. It shows the power of the people, and it shows the power of bipartisanship. When we put partisanship aside and say, what is logical, what is reasonable, what is rational, not what do you like Trump or do you hate Trump? Are you for this or are you for that? Critics of the bill suggest that lengthy jail sentences are ineffective and that victims could be caught up in the enhanced penalties because many are forced to participate in illegal trafficking activities by their perpetrators. But others say the bill is narrow enough to target only those that are repeatedly caught trafficking children. We're talking about repeat offenders who continue to traffic and sell our children, and we have to send a message to them that our children are not for sale. If you sell our children, you will pay the highest criminal penalties of our state. Harris says he remains dedicated to protecting children and supporting the bill as it winds its way through the legislature. When we come back, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito says Congress has no authority to regulate the Supreme Court, even for a code of ethics.
and the prelude to a cyber Pearl Harbor. That's what a geopolitical analyst calls the discovery of Chinese malware that could threaten U.S. military readiness. More in just a moment, here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. The new director of the CDC says her agency is planning to recommend Americans get an annual COVID-19 vaccine. We anticipate that, it, that what COVID will become is similar to what we're seeing with flu shots, where it's going to be you get your annual flu shot and you get your annual COVID shot. Mandy Cohen recently replaced Rochelle Walensky as CDC head. She said she expects the yearly COVID vaccine recommendation to be finalized and announced in September. Cohen is a strong proponent of the vaccines. She said she worries about parents not vaccinating kids against COVID and other viruses. The CDC didn't respond to emailed questions, including what it would say to critics who note that there's a lack of clinical trial data supporting the shots. Oncologist David McCune says that without that data, you can't really say what the potential benefit to people is. Major pharmaceutical companies are preparing combination COVID-19 influenza vaccines and have said they expect tens of millions of Americans to get the shots on an annual basis. Senator Rand Paul has announced an official criminal referral to the Justice Department for Dr. Anthony Fauci. He says Fauci lied while giving testimony on COVID-19. Paul referenced an email sent by Fauci that discusses gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab in China. It shows Fauci was concerned about the research. Paul says the email message contradicts what he told Congress, that the U.S. has not funded any gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab. Paul and Fauci already had an ongoing conflict about the issue. In 2021, Paul told Fauci that lying to Congress is a crime. At that time, Paul cited a medical journal article dealing with coronaviruses. The experiments mentioned in the article took place at the same lab and said it was funded by U.S. health agencies. Fauci said at the time that the research in the article is not considered gain-of-function research. Democrats in Congress are pushing back against Justice Samuel Alito. He says Congress has no authority to regulate the Supreme Court under the Constitution. Alito told the Wall Street Journal that Congress did not create the Supreme Court. That was after the Senate Judiciary Committee advanced a bill that would mandate an ethical code for the top U.S. court. Republicans have criticized the effort as a bid to reduce the power of the Supreme Court because the GOP controls the House, it's unlikely that the Democrat senator's ethics bill will be successful. Democratic Congressman Ted Lieu wrote Alito a message on Twitter. He said he's on the Supreme Court in part because Congress expanded the court to nine justices. Lieu also said Congress can impeach justices and can in many cases strip the court of jurisdiction. The Biden administration says it is closely monitoring the situation in Haiti where an American nurse and her child have been kidnapped. The woman works for a nonprofit organization called El Roy. It runs a school and ministry in Port-au-Prince. The organization said the two were taken from campus on Thursday. The State Department issued a do not travel advisory last week. It ordered non-emergency personnel to leave because of growing security concerns. Those include frequent kidnappings, crimes, civil unrest, and poor health infrastructure in the country. 
The party responsible for the kidnapping and their demands, if any, are currently unknown. Chinese malware that could disrupt American military operations has been found in the networks that control U.S. utility systems. Now, the Biden administration is on the hunt for the malicious software. To dig deeper, I spoke with geopolitical analyst and author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Brandon Weikert, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Brandon, what could this reported malware give China the ability to do? Well, basically, they are probing our uh, critical infrastructure, and it will give them the ability to lace that critical infrastructure networks with electronic time bombs, basically, which basically allows for them to detonate those electronic time bombs at a moment of their choosing. And what would the detonation of those bombs be, so to speak? Well, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's basically going to be knocking out our critical infrastructure like water treatment facilities, electrical grid, things like that. And the objective would be to sow as much chaos here at home so that we can't focus on deploying resources to stop what I think is a likely very soon invasion of Taiwan. And how widespread is this malware in our country? Uh, it's systemic. Uh, we we learned from the Typhoon Vault operation that China was doing, uh, basically, that they had complete access to our critical infrastructure networks for a very long time, and we are now having to go through and basically m mop up all of the damage they did and hopefully catch all those electronic time bombs before they go off. And I don't know if we can. It's a lot of a lot of time they had in those networks. And what does the presence of this reported malware mean about the Chinese Communist Party's intentions overall? Uh, basically, I think this is uh, the prelude to a cyber Pearl Harbor. I think that this is part of a larger Chinese military operation to knock the United States out before the Chinese decide to go into Taiwan. I would next be watching for our satellites. I think we might be in store for a space Pearl Harbor, and I'd keep an eye out on any more biolabs that we discover uh, operating illegally in our own country as we did over the weekend. And they have a massive hacking operation, right? It's the world's largest, and it's dedicated solely to going after the United States, whereas we have to worry about Russia, North Korea, Iran, Al-Qaeda, and all the other threats, China just focuses primarily on the United States, and it's showing that that is really having a positive impact for them, and it's doing a lot of damage to us. That is shocking. And now, at least we have an investigation into this, into this malware. Do we know anything about the progress of these investigations? No, it's it's going. It's just getting going. Um, again, we're playing catch up. That's not a good place to be when we're talking in the cyber domain. Cyber like space. Um, those are two domains where speed kills. And the Russian, I mean, sorry, the Chinese uh, have a lot of lead time on us, and that's not good. We're having to basically go back and hope and, and go through every single system we have and hope we can find these things that they planted. Um, but the Chinese had a lot of time in there without us knowing about it. And is there anything we can do proactively to defend against this sort of attack, these sort of malware code going forward? 
Well, the first thing that the administration should do, and they've indicated this already, I don't think they've done it explicitly enough, is to basically say any kind of infrastructure cyber attack will be a full declaration of war on the United States, and it will necessitate a response militarily from us, not just in the cyber domain. Another thing we could do is everything they do to us, penetrating our critical infrastructure, lacing it possibly with electronic time bombs, we should do the same thing to them and make it very clear that if you're going to do it to us, we're going to do it to you. Geopolitical analyst Brandon Weikert, thank you. Thank you. When we return, some energy industry individuals fear that the White House will declare a COVID-like climate emergency. Should you be worried? And Italy is looking to pull out of Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. The country's defense minister called the decision to join the scheme improvised and atrocious. We'll have more on that when we return. Welcome back. Some energy industry individuals fear that the White House will declare a COVID-like climate emergency. Here to, here to discuss this with me is NTD Business's Don Ma. Don, tell us more about this. So the U.S. Oil and Gas Association President Tim Stewart uh, said over the weekend that he's worried um, that if you grant the president's Emergency, if you grant the president's emergency powers to glare, declare a climate emergency, it's just like COVID. And he says he's worried they're leaning to that direction. And, you know, just hypothetically speaking, an emergency declaration, uh, Stewart says, would give the president vast unchecked authority to shut down everything from communications to infrastructure. So, you know, think about that. And what could the president be allowed to do if he declares an emergency like this? Well, I don't want to say exactly what, but, you know, I think we can just think back to the COVID emergency. Now, Stewart actually hinted at this. He says that he can literally do exactly what they did in COVID. If you disagree with the climate emergency, speech can be shut down, uh, he says. Uh, we really need to be we we really need to be paying attention to that because that power could be extended indefinitely until the climate so-called climate emergency is over, and you know that could last a long time. This is what he said, um, and as well, the nonprofit Center for Biological Diversity issued a, a non-exhaustive uh, legal guide saying that Biden, under an emergency declaration, could do the following, and I'll just list some of that. Um, that includes ending crude oil export, ending all offshore oil and gas leasing, uh, restrict U.S. fossil fuel exports, and, and hundreds of billions of dollars in overseas fossil fuel investments. And, and as well, dramatically accelerate a transition to clean energy. And Don, what does the White House say now about climate Okay, so President Biden and other administration officials have said that the United States and the, and the world, in fact, are in the midst of a climate crisis and have used language describing it as an emergency so far. Um, but President Biden has stopped short of declaring an emergency right now, although some Democrats and environmental groups have pushed the idea. 
About 60 congressional Democrats recently backed legislation known as the Climate Emergency Act of 2021 that would require Biden, the Biden administration to make a climate-related emergency declaration. And I think just last week, the White House sent out what it described as the first ever heat wave hazard alert. Yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, a White House fact sheet released last week says President Biden has asked the Department of Labor to issue the first ever hazard alert for heat. And at the same time, the U.N. Secretary General released a very alarmist-like message last week saying that the era of global boiling uh, rather than global warming, right? Global boiling has arrived. He used uh, adjectives that included terrifying, quote-unquote. He said U.N. member states must turn a year of burning heat into a year of burning ambition. But, you know, Chris, I just want to be fair. Um, I don't think we need to worry about the Biden administration declaring a climate emergency or banning fossil fuels in the short term because Biden himself has said during his own State of Union speech a few months ago that he says, quote, that we're going to need oil for at least another decade and beyond that. So that, that's where I'm coming from. All right. Thank you very much, Don. Thank you. Cash-strapped U.S. trucking company Yellow Corporation has seized operations and is filing for bankruptcy. This after failing to reorganize and refinance over a billion dollars in debt. The move means 30,000 people are at risk of losing their jobs. Yellow voted a threatened strike by 22,000 Teamsters represented workers earlier this month. The company has 12,000 trucks. Its customers include large retailers like Walmart and Home Depot. Part of the company's debt is a $700 million pandemic relief loan provided in 2020 in exchange for a 30% stake in the Tennessee-based company. We have footage of a dramatic rescue in Texas. Check out this video of police officers pulling a man from a burning car. Police in White Settlement, Texas, responded to a report of a car hitting a pole early Saturday morning. Responding officers found two people in the car. The driver was able to get out safely, but the male passenger was unconscious and unable to get out. Officers quickly pulled the man from the burning car. The driver and passengers were taken to a hospital and are expected to survive. The cause of the crash is still under investigation. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Still to come, an unlicensed lab in California was found making illegal COVID tests, pregnancy tests, and more. The discovery raises questions and concerns. And a committee pushing for credible democratic elections in Hong Kong shares its mission in Washington, D.C. We spoke to the group's initiator about the steps being taken to achieve that goal. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Thanks for staying with us. Exercise Talisman Sabre is in full swing in Australia. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin toured the war games in Townsville, meeting with soldiers from multiple countries. The joint exercises comprise two weeks of training, including simulated land battles, air battles, and amphibious landings. 
More than 30,000 troops have joined from 13 countries, along with Australia and the U.S. Troops from Canada, France, Germany, Japan, Korea, and the U.K. are taking part. Germany participated for the first time with more than 200 paratroopers and marines as the European country is reinforcing its presence in the region. The war games aim to showcase force and unity amid China's military buildup in the Pacific. Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative is losing a key player. Italy wants to pull out of the deal without hurting relations with Beijing. Here's an interview of Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney with Fox News. The paradox with the, with the Belt and Road Initiative is that we, we are the only nation in, in, in the G7 and the European Union, but we are not the, the nation that, is, that has the best trade with China. Maloney made the remarks after meeting with President Biden at the White House last week. The Prime Minister said she would negotiate with China about the possibility of withdrawing from the Belt and Road by December. Italian Defense Minister Guido Crescetto also regretted joining Beijing's initiative, calling the decision improvised and atrocious. He said the plan did little to boost Italy's exports, adding that China was the only winner. Amid criticism from Western allies, Italy became the first developed country to sign the Belt and Road Initiative in 2019. The scheme promises funding to infrastructure projects in various countries, but critics see it as a vehicle for the Chinese regime to expand its influence. An unlicensed lab was found making illegal COVID tests, pregnancy kits, and more. A recent discovery in California raises questions and concerns. The city of Reedley, California, is at the center of the mystery. Recently, officials found an illegal lab in an empty building there. What they discovered inside was alarming. There were COVID tests, pregnancy test kits, and 900 lab mice, according to court documents. Furthermore, investigators found infectious agents such as chlamydia, E. coli, hepatitis B and C, rubella, and more. The FBI, CDC, and California public health agencies are investigating. They report that the illegal lab was run by Prestige Biotech, a Chinese company registered in Nevada. The company's president is Xiao Chun Yao. NBC reported that all biological agents were destroyed by July 7th. Hong Kong activists are hoping for free elections. The committee shared its mission in Washington, D.C. last week. It's looking to establish a political body free from the manipulation of the Chinese Communist Party and give Hong Kong citizens a way to vote without fear. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg reports. The goal of the Hong Kong Parliament Electoral Organizing Committee is to hold safe, credible elections internationally. Elections guaranteed to be free of the Chinese Communist Party's control. Hong Kong is like a police state, and the national security law is like martial law in Hong Kong. But people don't relate to that. So, in, in fact, we lost all our freedom rule of law and democracy. So we need to do something. The idea is inspired by the Tibetan parliament in exile. Elmer Yuan, the initiator of the committee, says according to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Hong Kongers have the right to vote for their own government to determine their own future. He says now all branches of Hong Kong's government, including the district council, is being totally manipulated by Beijing. They are afraid of competition for control of China and its people. So we want to do is we want to wrestle the power to the people, not by the elite or not by the Communist Party members. UN says the U.S. needs to make a choice about Hong Kong. We need to get rid of the Communist Party once and for all.
at all price because it's not only the Hong Kong people or the Chinese people. The whole world is affected. Look at COVID. It's horrible. And look at the fentanyl here. It's killing so many people. They must make up their mind and uh, do away with the CCP once and for all. Election regulations are set to be established next month. The committee has asked all Hong Kong elected representatives who held office before July 2020 to participate in the upcoming parliament election slated for later this year. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Coming up, a Japanese wrestler travels to Senegal to master their style of the combat sport. He also shares his knowledge of Greco-Roman and freestyle wrestling. More in a moment, here on NTD News. Welcome back, everyone. Japanese restaurants in Beijing are bearing the brunt as China tightens controls on Japanese food imports. Some owners are reporting customer numbers down by up to 90%. To become a sushi chef like 49-year-old Kazuyuki Tanioka takes years of study and practice. Like many of his Japanese compatriots, his knife skill is likely among the best in the world. But it's the ingredients he's using which could yet bring down the curtain on his eight-year-old restaurant in the Chinese capital, Beijing. The hardest thing for us now is that we can't purchase any Japanese seafood at all because it's taking so long to clear Chinese customs due to the treated radioactive water release issue. Like most Japanese restaurants in China, Tanioka's outlet Toya imports fish from Japan. But Chinese restrictions on some of those imports are making business harder. Shortly after the 2011 tsunami and earthquake damaged the Fukushima nuclear plant in Japan, Beijing banned food and agricultural products from five Japanese prefectures. That ban was later widened and now covers 10 of Japan's 47 prefectures. The latest restrictions were brought in as Japan plans to empty into the sea treated radioactive water from Fukushima a move endorsed by the United Nations nuclear watchdog, but sharply criticized by China. Since around mid-July, with the planned release of treated radioactive water, the number of Chinese customers has slid around 90 percent due to worries about Japanese food ingredients. Imports have since all but ground to a halt, with some Japanese officials fearing the worst is yet to come. While more stringent Chinese checks have led to massive delays at customs, the bigger worry is what customers are saying. Posts and hashtags on Chinese social media claim Japanese food is radioactive and should be boycotted. This customer said he was reassured by the steps China had taken, calling it a responsible attitude. But some say when it comes to Japanese food, there are misconceptions about what is and isn't safe. I don't know about the Fukushima water release in much detail, but if you have a look, you'll find other places are doing the same thing, releasing things into nature. The fact that the average person just doesn't know this, this is the hardest thing. If they knew about it, then they would know they could eat safely. Japanese officials have appealed to their Chinese counterparts, especially in their second largest market, Hong Kong, to avoid a ban. Some importers have meanwhile said they're considering shipping their product through a third country. Chefs like Tanioka have said they're now looking at sourcing ingredients from inside China to survive. 
And while even with the restrictions, China remains the largest importer of Japanese seafood. If these problems continue, that may not be the case for much longer. A Japanese wrestler is committed to mastering the Senegalese style. The athlete is also sharing his knowledge of international wrestling in the West African nation. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the takedown. Japanese wrestler Shoga Uezumi is thrown face down in the sand by a bigger Senegalese opponent. He quickly rebounds with a smile on his face. I just finished practice today with the team I'm practicing with right now. Every time I practice, I feel myself getting stronger bit by bit, so I feel a lot of joy and growth. I'm reflecting on my weak points and training hard every day to improve my skills. Senegalese wrestling evolved from a post-harvest pastime into the country's national sport. Anchored in ancestral war rituals, a wrestler wins by making his opponent's back hit the ground. I saw him coming from his country to develop the sport, and it was something that surprised me. When he showed me what it means to commit oneself, to leave one's country without being well paid, knowing that he would only have enough to live on to develop our sport. Since relocating to Senegal full-time in 2022, Uazumi has been living with a community of wrestlers. He's also training three dozen students for the 2026 Youth Olympics. I met one of my best friends during my two years as a volunteer. His name is Cheikh Badian. We always work together in our daily life and in the promotion of wrestling. And we talked about the future together, how to teach wrestling to children, how to promote wrestling here in Senegal. Uazumi's wrestlers appreciate his commitment and have taken him in. He came and integrated easily. Sometimes it feels like we've known him for many years. He's part of us and we're part of him. When he needs it, we help him with everything. He always comes with a good mood. He's jovial, he teases, but above all, he fights very well. These young Senegalese grapplers could be part of the sport's next generation, as wrestlers around the world prepare for the 2024 Summer Olympics in Paris. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. This overactive immune response can contribute to countless health issues if left unaddressed. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. What do a mattress, a toothbrush, salmon and sneakers have in common? They may all be able to help you fight chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation is a persistent state of immune system activity. It's linked to several health problems and risks. The more healthy habits you have, the better chance you'll have at limiting inflammation and disease risk. Inflammation is one of the body's key defenses. It happens when you get injured or become infected by a microbe. Your body sends out inflammatory immune cells to attack, isolate and repair. But sometimes lifestyle habits keep this immune response going. It can impair healthy tissue and wear the body down. Fortunately, certain lifestyle habits can calm inflammation. Aim for a healthy diet, regular exercise, sound sleep, good oral hygiene and relaxation. When all of these are in order, you can help keep inflammation in check. Let's look at a few key points, starting with fish. 
Two servings of fatty fish per week are linked with better long-term health. It's also linked to lower levels of inflammation. Aim for salmon, anchovies, halibut, sardines and tuna. These fish contain omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3 fatty acids disrupt the production of chemicals that cause inflammation. Next you'll want to consider a comfortable mattress. Is your mattress making you toss and turn through the night? Even one night of disturbed sleep can cause inflammation. Also, regularly missing sleep can contribute to obesity. This is also linked to inflammation. Even if your mattress is good, look for other ways to improve sleep, like minimizing food intake in the evening, relaxing before bed, and setting a sleep schedule. Next, let's consider the importance of teeth brushing. Brushing your teeth twice daily and flossing can help to eliminate bacteria. Bacteria leads to infection and causes inflammation elsewhere in the body. Next up, let's look at the importance of exercise and stress management. Aerobic exercise is important for overall health. Consider walking, jogging, cycling, and dancing. All of these are great options for fighting inflammation. These activities may also help produce hormones that keep inflammation in check. And finally, stress. Chronic stress promotes inflammation in the body. It is also linked to several chronic inflammatory conditions. Examples include rheumatoid arthritis and cardiovascular disease. Deep breathing, tai chi, falun gong, yoga, or simply enjoying more downtime can help. A new world record has been set. Renowned athlete John Roos just completed the world's longest single building slackline. Roos is a three-time slackline world champion from Estonia. He achieved the feat titled Sparkline on his first attempt. Roos walked almost 500 feet between Qatar's iconic towers. This was done on a line less than one inch wide at a height of over 600 feet above the city. The Sparkline walk is not only the longest on a single building, but also Roos's highest urban walk to date. Canines were on their paws over the weekend in the Venezuelan capital of Caracas. 150 dogs joined their owners in a fun run of more than two miles. This marked the second edition of the dog running race. Participants said they were excited to run with their pets. The event charged $30 for participation, seeking support for the country's animal shelters. Under Venezuela's prolonged economic collapse, many have left their pets in shelters or abandoned them on the streets. Household incomes have been hit by an annual inflation of about 400%, making it hard for pet owners to pay for the basic needs of their animals. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.